hello friends and welcome to another episode of the podcast Lead Like You Give a Damn where I speak with leaders and leadership experts who have cracked the code on leading with authenticity, purpose and effectiveness. This show is brought to you by ScaleYourLeadership.com which provides no-fluff self-paced courses to help you scale your leadership impact. You can discover the impact of your leadership by taking the short assessment at ScaleYourLeadership.com. Now on with today's show, I'm your host Dave McKeown and my guest today is Shelly Omi Lade Bell. And Omi is an incredible entrepreneur. She's a sought after speaker and the founder of Black Girl Ventures, which is focused on helping black and brown women identifying founders get access to community capital and capacity building. Listen as we talk about her journey to starting BGV, the inequities that are present in the world of capital and the leadership lessons that she's learned throughout her career. As always, make sure you're subscribed to get notified of every episode as it comes out. Let me know if you have any questions or comments. And as always, please enjoy the show. Well, hey, Omi, thank you so much for being here today. How are you? Hey, thank you for having me. I'm great. How are you? I am doing just wonderful. I'm super excited for our conversation uh, today, Omi. You founded Black Girl Ventures back in 2016. Tell me a little bit about it. What led you to start the organization? Yeah, so Black Girl Ventures, we work to create access to capital, community, and capacity for Black and Brown women founders. And we have a couple ways we do that. We have a fellowship program that is that stretches across the country, and we actually, it's focused on leadership. So mm-hmm. we focus on helping more people get to the table, the quote-unquote, you know, table. Because we know that that's what's necessary to really push things forward. We also have a next-gen program, which is for HBCU students, so students who attend a historically black college or university. So college students that that are interested in entrepreneurship or have entrepreneurship endeavors already. And then we have our BGV pitch program, which is our signature program, which is what most people know us by because Mm -hmm. it's unique. We help women get access to capital by using a sort of rent party model. And so, which is a part of black history, actually. So in the early 1900s, black people migrated to Harlem and white landowners raised the rent and Black people do parties to stay in their homes, and then they would pay the rent using an admission fee. And mm. we took that concept and expanded upon it. Like, mm. these weren't any kind of, just any parties. You had, you know, Black American greats helping with these parties, like St. Hughes, uh, Fats Waller, Duke Ellens, and people like that. And so we, it was a pretty serious thing to do, and it was fun, right? And so that's mm. how we look at what we do at Black Girl Ventures with a BGV pitch program. There's an application process. We coach them, and then they actually go, they pitch. We have our own uh, software, our own uh, unique custom-built software that handles the voting and the donating. So Mm -hmm. you can watch the pitch and then watch several pitches, and then you vote with your dollars for the founder that you like best. Mm -hmm. And then we help influence alongside them. So to date, we've uh, funded over 270 women. We have Everest across about 12 cities and growing. We have uh, our founders represent about 10 million in revenue and about 3,000 jobs. And our total impact at this point is way over 100,000 women. So, you know, it's been an amazing journey. So what do you do on Thursdays? (laughs) (laughs) This is so much. (laughs) This is an incredible. Go ahead. 
No, I was going to say, you know what? Like, that's such an interesting question. And I wonder, like, how, you know, executive, you like, I know you were joking, but like, people never really ask me, like, about the actual day. You know what I'm saying? Like, people are always like, what did you do over the course of this whole last five years? And I'm like, <laughs> trying to push that into a 30 minute block, you know? All right. That's incredible. So, what led you to start it in the first place? Tell me a little bit about that journey. So I've lived multiple lives. Uh, (laughs) I've had so many different, I'm a career switcher. Honestly, I'm just not a good employee. Every time I get into a job, I'm like, this could be better. And then the people don't actually want to do anything about it. (laughs) And so (laughs) I find myself being like, uh, it sucks here. Y'all don't want to be better. And so I, I was a K through 12 teacher for a while. I worked in workforce development. I, uh, I'm an engineer in training. So my degree is in computer science. I taught computer science to high school students for a while. The first woman and the first black woman computer scientist uh, in the city of Ale- to teach in the city of Alexandria, Alexandria Public Schools. Wow. And so, you know, it was, I just realized that, you know, through building business myself, because I had several companies over the course of the years between web development, marketing, even called myself a private eye at one point. That's a totally different podcast story. And, but I landed on a print shop, like after doing lots of things and, you know, from patent examining, you know, PTO to, you know, running my own art organization, I landed on a print shop and my first set of t-shirts sucked. Nobody bought it. And then the second set was called Made by a Black and it took off. My mom invested her retirement. I used my tax returns to build, to um, buy my own machines. I went from printing t-shirts to printing like merchandise and getting contracts with like Google and Amazon to do printed merchandise for them. And so through all of this, all of the things I had done, which I was just calling it career switching or pivoting or, you know, mm. whatever the buzz term is for someone who doesn't stay in a job for 30 years, I was that person. And so if you're mm. that person out there, you know, definitely don't feel guilty about that. Because when, like, when I look back, all of those skills made me a really, really great business owner. Right. Yeah. Fantastic. And so what point though, did you wake up and go, you know what, I'm going to put this all into a program to help other black and brown women launch their own businesses? Well, the news came out. So I was, you know, living my, what became a better, because you know, the beginning of the business, you ain't living your best life. But after I had grown the print shop, I was living it up, I guess you could say. And the news came out that black and brown women founders were not getting access to capital and that women right. in general were receiving less than 2% of venture capital and that black women were receiving less than 1% of venture right. capital, you know, and then stats around like having trouble getting loans, you know, just things that women were going through a lot of study has started to show some of this information. And so honestly, it was a really simple thing. I was like, oh, wow, like, well, I could do something about that. Mm. And so the first BGV pitch program was 30 women in a house in Southeast DC, cooked brunch. We're all in the living room. Four women pitched their business. We voted with marbles and coffee mugs. (laughs) Now we have custom (laughs) software. We fancy. But before we started, (laughs) it was marbles and coffee mugs. If you like that person, you put your marble in their coffee mug. And that's how we decided a winner. So, I mean, it really was like in response to understanding the gaps that women were facing in developing businesses. I think marbles and coffee cups would make an excellent, either an excellent album title or a great name for your autobiography when you come to write it. Oh my goodness. Marbles and coffee mugs. (laughs) 
that is a really you know what that's a good idea <laughs> so tell me about then some of those challenges for black and brown women why is it the case that they weren't and they still are not getting access to capital in the same ways as other groups you know it's not a simple answer to that mm. you know i mean because i mean well the simplest way i can make it is that history has not been kind to women in general and mm. has not been kind to marginalized communities black communities you know you know development of the finance industry over the course of history just did not include women in mm-hmm. every step of that and did not include black people in every step of that so imagine mm-hmm. you know like a person being white and male, you were included from the beginning of the history of finance. Like, (laughs) you know, it was created by them in some ways, you know, for reasons that would help them manage what they were doing. Right. And then the rest of the world had to just fold into that. And so, Mm -hmm. but not only did the rest of the country have to fold into it, there are also like legal disadvantages or legal, like the laws that say that women couldn't have a bank account or couldn't buy property without a man. You know, laws that would say that Black people can't, you know, sit at the same lunch counter, Black people can't make the same wage, Black people can't work the same job. You know, Mm -hmm. there were laws there, right? And so it's like, but then, you know, after fighting and years and all that, okay, then the laws changed. But there's still the remnants of right. what that created, right? And so it's like, you know, an air, it's like having a really bad storm hit. You know, like, you know, things won't be the same after that, but things can get back to some level of normalcy, but they quote unquote, a different kind of normalcy, but they won't be the same. And so I think like the easiest way to kind of say it is just like history has not been kind. There have been historical legal disadvantages for people mm-hmm. of color and for women in general when it comes to finance. And so, you know, mm-hmm. now it's like, hey, I want to start a business too. Okay, well now legally you can't, right? Like right. now it's not, nobody's holding you back from doing that. The law, you know, per se is not holding anybody back from starting a business. Okay, cool. But what, you know, all the other things that the law did hold us back from impedes upon the capital that we have now to For invest. Sure. Yeah. And do you think that the industry is changing? Is it becoming more favorable? Is the work that you and others are doing, is it having enough of an impact? I'm thinking specifically around funding here for black and brown woman is it changing i believe that change is happening and again this is a it's not a it's a little bit complicated in the sense that money from the investment standpoint doesn't move fast mm. so with what we do at bgv and being able to have the audience vote with their dollars essentially you know we're becoming a catalyst we're like speeding up the rate right. of people getting funded and so a lot of times people in general want to focus on the dollar amount like oh it was just five hundred dollars or i mean and granted people get more than that through our competition but i'm just things i faced over the course of building it oh well, right. these are low amounts of money and it's like they're low amounts of money if you put them in the pool of money that was easily accessible to certain groups of people over time but when right. you put them into the hands of someone who has been historically marginalized and they can go and run five hundred dollars worth of ads Mm-hmm. Like you have now created sustainability in a way that you may not have accounted for. Right. Yeah. 
you're just short-circuiting that process and that path. So you're saying that you could play this long game and you might get out, you might come out with something much larger, but you probably won't. But through what we're doing here, we're short-circuiting that and we're getting you moving in, in a direction sooner rather than later. Yes, I love that. In fact, I'm going to use that and I'm going to act like I came up with it. Do it, it, absolutely. <laughs> steal it, steal no, it and no, use it as far as wide as you want. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about some of those challenges, you know, maybe with BGV, maybe with some of your other entrepreneurial ventures. What have been some of the biggest challenges that you've faced in getting new ventures off the ground and running? Yeah, great question. I mean, fundraising across the board, you know, it's been a challenge for all of us. And let me also acknowledge that, you know, that raising money is not necessarily easy for anyone, right? Mm. So let me be clear that the idea that you're going to go to a high net worth person and say, hey, can you uh, give me your money for what I'm doing? There's layers to that, right? right? And the biggest layer being relationship. Mm -hmm. And so if your parents didn't go to Harvard, or if you're, you know, your uncle didn't go to Stanford, or like, you know, you don't have that kind of immediate head nod relationship where like you get an immediate yes to listening to you differently. Right. Because right. I also want to clarify, you know, make sure I'm clear with the audience that one, if raising money is hard Two, while we all may be raising money, we're not raising money with the same level of competence or relationship. It doesn't mean right. that people are incompetent. It just means that if uh, things that may have been talked about at some people's dinner tables weren't talked about at other people's dinner tables because some people were focused on, on surviving right. and some people were focused on able to have the privilege of focusing on like life management right where life management meant thriving or sustaining or being steady in a way that was a little different from others and so with that you know I in the beginning I'll be very transparent you know learning what the language of philanthropy is mm -hmm. because philanthropy for me was like giving money at church right growing up <laughs> You know yes. what I mean? But going yeah. into this level where you have family foundations and high net worth people, I didn't, it took me almost two years to realize that when somebody says, how can I be helpful? Mm. What they're really saying is ask me for money. Right. Oh, I love this. How can I be helpful? And I was like, well, you could volunteer. And they're like, okay, great. But how can I be helpful? And I was like, <laughs> um, you could uh, mentor. Right. Oh, oh, okay, great. But how can I be helpful? Like, I did not understand why people <laughs> kept saying, how can I be helpful? And right. I realized that the language of philanthropy cannot assert that you don't have something. Mm. It can't do that. That's not nice. That's not the way it works. Mm. That's too confrontational. It's culturally, right. quote unquote, wrong to assert that you or, or assume that you don't have money and that you need me or that you need mine. Right. So the how can I be helpful was to layer in, you know, a signal to say, hey, like I'm here and I'm open to you asking me for money. So, you know, this idea of like you don't know what you don't know. Well, yeah. you learn that through community. That's why we're so big on community at BGB. Right. Yeah. And I think you're right that just that the whole industry of philanthropy, I can't even say it probably, you know, it has its own norms and its own customs. And mm -hmm. I, I think you're right. It's easy to just think, hey, I'm going to start a nonprofit and you know, we'll just go in and they will make it a little work. And then you get in there and you realize, gosh, like this is a professional industry. Like people are professional fundraisers and there's processes to go through and ways to do it. And, you know, to your point, it's, it's very different if you can like pull up your contact list on your iPhone and call a hundred people and invite them all to a $500 a plate gal. 
Gala. It's very different if you do that than if you're literally just starting out and you, you don't have a, a network and you're just trying to scrimp and get off the ground, right? It, it's a curious world to emerge into. Yeah, for sure. And it has its own set of challenges around, you know, oppression and marginalized communities mm. and, you know, sexism. And, you know, like it has its own identity. And I think like that's something I also didn't know that like the world of philanthropy has its own identity. The same mm-hmm. way that the world of banking does or the world of venture capital does. Like it is its own thing. And the way that you have to move and it has its own culture, right? And yeah. the lacking cultural competency is a challenge. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Just switching gears a little bit, have you noticed over the last couple of years, has there been an increase in the number of black and brown women that are setting out to start or grow their own businesses? Has has that increased as a result of the great resignation and people rethinking what they're doing with their life? What have you seen happen out there? 100%. There has been an increase in black and brown women starting businesses. And I mean, you know, these numbers are hugely measured by businesses being registered and so you know registered and actually operating can be different things you know we've seen at black girl ventures an uptick in black and brown women who are launching their business or who have already been having the business but would not uh, separate from their company to run it full-time right so now like seeing what it was like to work from home and actually get the same things done i think some people are feeling like well why would i go back into an environment that i was already hating when i've adapted now to what it means to work remote instead of being asked to come back into the office you know people are not really feeling that they're also kind of feeling like you know now that they have worked from home again they're feeling like hey i can actually do this Mm. You know, this, I know how to, I can balance multiple things. I just did it for a whole year. So clearly there's, uh, I have more skills than I may have allowed myself to feel so, or use. So yeah, we have seen an uptick. I think, you know, one of my concerns for all of the businesses that are starting up is just ensuring that they understand sustainability and ensuring that corporations are actually ready to hire the entrepreneur mindset in a way where somebody who has actually built something and run a company. Right. Because, yeah, that you sort of lead on to what I was thinking, which is surely not everybody that comes across your desk or applies for one of your programs has the necessary skills or mindset or behaviors or characteristics or whatever it is to make that a success. And and I think that particularly when we go through these mass periods of upheaval where people are rethinking what they're doing happens at the lowest point in the market and happens quite a lot in, in the highest point in the market where a lot of people go, I'm just going to go out and start something on my own. But there's got to be a set of characteristics that you're looking for that you think will have that sustainability, that long-term ability to lead a business? Yeah. What are they? Yes. So there's a few things, right? Because in the world of finance and in the world of venture capital, there is a pattern matching thing that happens where like, Hmm. you know, the idea of the person who is male who can backpack across America with a toothbrush and one pair of underwear is (laughs) showing more grit than a solo founder who something from scratch like this idea is like just like all off right like that's not that's, that perception that's is, yeah it needs to end so we we do look at the resilience of the founder and their understanding of business right for our pitch program we have to be at least one year in business and generating some revenue we want it you know our goal is like yes we're being a catalyst but we want it to be helpful 
We want to mm-hmm. create jobs and we want to sustain jobs because, you know, even with a great, like I said, a great net resignation, there's some people starting companies, but there are some people who want to work for more meaningful companies. Right. And uh, these small business owners or startups will be that batch of folks. So we look at like what, with our help, what do you have the ability to do? We also help people get into retail. And so that's another, because for us, if you get customers, that's the best kind of capital. <laughs> right. Yes, right? for sure. Yeah, exactly. So we want to get you a bigger customer. So we look for with our help, you know, what could possibly happen for you? We want that to be we want to be additive to what you already have or already thinking about growing. Yeah, I think that's really important, you know, for for the long term sustainability of any business, you got to find that long term profitable market, right? We can't all live off of um, off of capital for forever, unless maybe you're Elon Musk. But other than that, for the rest of us, we have to turn a profit. <laughs> so tell me, what are the, the biggest leadership lessons that you've learned throughout everything that you've done? What does it mean to be a great leader to you? To be a great leader, you have to be intuitive. I think that there's a secret sauce to the greatest leaders that is human-centered, mm. empathetic, and intuitive. And like... Mm. Intuition for some is a mystery and for, you know, others is a genesis qua, you know, like, you know, understanding that, that being able to know, follow your gut, trust yourself, and then, you know, be the kind of leader that other people can trust your gut. So I think to me, the sign of the greatest leaders is that other people trust your gut. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think like, you know, you can be in charge. And there's a difference between being in charge means you have the power and authority to make the decisions. And, but there's another thing to be a leader. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it is, it's like I said, it's that like intuitive know-how, the ability to listen, be present, and mm. then move through problem solving in a way where everyone moves with you. So what is next for you? What are you most excited about? I can't imagine that you're going to stick with what you're doing for the rest of your career. There must be something else that you're excited to move on to or get launching. Yeah, I mean, up next for me, I want to be able to share and strategize, like share what I've learned as a builder Mm. and then strategize with executives and corporations and nonprofit entities and, you know, business owners. Like I love doing strategy sessions to Mm. go to the next place, revenue, hiring, strategies, uh, things like that. So I can see a world where I am consulting with governments on how to move the needle forward on some of the initiatives that they're working on, especially when it comes to business owners and people in marginalized communities. I also can see a world where I am doing strategy sessions, like bigger strategy sessions and workshops with corporations. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I also love doing content. So, you know, I'll be doing, you know, continuing to do more and more content and content in different ways. We have like with our partnership with Nike, we mm. have murals that we put up and that's like we're using these murals to tell the story when we're not around. We're using art as a form of communication mm-hmm. to help the world be a better place. So, you know, like those are like projects like that. I love I love the opportunity mm-hmm. to help people think different. I love the opportunity to help them think through something, you know, see a new perspective. And so I can see myself building out a whole career, just doing that for various people across multiple countries. 
an incredible forward-looking vision, Omi, and I have no doubt that you will accomplish that and more and still have time on Thursdays to do something else. (laughs) 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 So where can folks find out more about you, more about BGV, sorry, and how they can get involved in in what you're doing and support your work? Yeah, if you have SiriusXM, you catch me every Sunday at noon. I have a SiriusXM show called The Shelly Bell Show. It airs at noon every Sunday and on SiriusXM Urban View Channel 1. 26 on you can also follow me at i am shelly bell i am s-h-e-l-l-y-b is in boy e-l-l everywhere so i am shelly bell on instagram i am shelly bell on twitter follow black girl ventures at black girl ventures on instagram and at b girl ventures on twitter that's fantastic we'll make sure to put all of that in the show notes omi thank you so much for being here for sharing your thoughts your perspectives and thank you for everything that you do in the world and everything that you put out there i really appreciate you spending this time with us thank you thanks for listening to lead like you give a damn if you enjoyed the show please tell a friend subscribe rate and review on apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts For more information about me, the show, or the work that I do, you can go to davemckeown.com and I'll see you next time.